message today around the table is, is really focused on friends and family. And it's the time of year where we can get all stressed out and just think, I can't do this and I can't afford that. Turn to somebody this morning and say, just chill. Just chill. Because this little quote I'm going to read right now is going to prove to you that every single one of you in this room are better off than a lot of people out there. So you want to hear this little quote? If, if you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have any amount of money in the bank or in your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8%, 8% of the world's wealthy. Feeling better about yourself already? Not going to be complaining about what you haven't got? If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pangs of starvation, you are luckier than 500 million people alive and suffering. If you can read this message, well, I'm reading it to you, you are more fortunate than three billion people in the world today who cannot read it at all. So come on, I think you should put your hands together and say thank you to God for the blessings that you do have and the things that you do not have. Because the wealth of a person is not in what they possess, but in who they do life with. And if you are here today and sitting with somebody or close to somebody who you love and who you can fellowship with and pray with and have a big hug with at least once a week, maybe twice a week if you're in Connect Group, then you are among the richest men and women and young people in the earth today. Isn't that wonderful? So I just wanted to read that. I read that quote out last week before I received our tithes and offerings, and I just thought, uh, oh my goodness, that is phenomenal. I'm going to re remember that. Remember that when you're out shopping and you think, oh, I can't afford this and that, and oh, that just seems such an insignificant little gift to give somebody this Christmas. Just wipe that out of your mind. Because one of the most precious gifts that Phil and I, Pastor Phil and I, ever received are thank you cards. I cherish them. I've got thank you cards, birthday cards, Christmas cards that I've kept over 35 years for people that have just been dear to my heart. And you know, you are rich if you are faithful. You are rich in God if you are, live a life of honesty. You are rich in life if you extend the hand of kindness every day to somebody. Then you are rich in Christ. Amen? And so, um, I don't, hey, oh, I want to say congratulations too on your Christmas spectacular. What? What? You filled the house to overflowing. You blessed hundreds and hundreds of visitors, and you had over 130, 40, 50 precious souls on the altar of salvation. So I think you should again lift your hands of praise to God. Oh, one soul into the kingdom causes the whole of heaven to have a party, but over 100 
I'm telling you, they're probably still dancing up there and singing that great song about, you know, the wonderful name of Jesus, which, of course, we're going to be doing for the whole of eternity. So we're coming into Christmas. And uh, somebody uh, asked me out the back room what we're doing for Christmas, and I said, yes, we're doing this. But for some people, Christmas is you have some, shall we say, interesting relatives that come to town, right? But I found a scripture for us. It's not actually in my notes, but I found it, and it says this, the Lord, the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, <laughs> So, <laughs> so even though it might be tricky, tricky Uncle Fred or tricky Auntie May this Christmas uh, or at your gatherings, remember that Jesus is at the table and just before you're about to say something you're going to regret, you'll feel a little nudge at the table from Jesus. Um, and of course, he's taught us to love our enemies. So love that difficult auntie or uncle this Christmas or Boxing Day or whenever you're going to get together. So today, we're having a look at this wonderful, wonderful topic, which I just love any messages, anything in the Word of God that's to do with the table and food and fellowship, because it's one of the essences of my life in Christ, I have a million memories, unforgettable memories and moments in my life that have happened around the table. There's something wonderful about the table. Would you agree? There's just something beautiful about coming into a home or welcoming people into your home, and you've set that table with love and care and beauty and a bit of fun. And when we take the time to set and prepare a place where we gather to eat, we are creating, each one of us, timeless memories. And I'm not talking about fancy-pantsy table settings. I mean, you know, you can have a jam jar and you can put just some wild daisies in it and somehow that just sets a tone for joy and fellowship around the table. Many years ago, um, we had a young cousin staying with us from New Zealand, and it was summer. Our children were quite small, and we had an outside table with one of those, you know, the holes in it with the brolly. And um, we used to eat out, well, we still do eat outside a lot because, you know, we're so blessed living in Sydney, we can eat out, right, uh, on a rickety old chair, you know, most days in, in summer. And so... Um, Anyway, the cicadas were, you know, making a racket out in the garden, and, and, I, and, and I was just calling out, come on, everybody, wake up, wake up. And it, and it was a Saturday morning, and it was hot, and I prepared a breakfast on the outside table. Nothing fancy. I just put out the, you know, the juice and cereals and popped the toast and put some honey and marmalade. Every Kiwi loves the old creamed honey. Anyone born in New Zealand loves the old creamed honey. And what's our favorite? Well, Manuka's got a bit expensive, but clover creamed honey. Oh, butter and fresh bread. So that was all out there. And, um, and the kids, you know, were getting out of bed all sleepy and coming down in their little shorty jammies or something. And my cousin's face was just like, as she stepped out, and looked down on the outside table. And she was in awe. And this is what she told me. She had never had in her whole life 
a breakfast table set for her. Right? Never. She, and I, you know, said, just explain because her mum, I know very well, she's my first cousin, this is her daughter's second cousin, and she said, oh no, mum would just chuck things on the bench and, you know, people would sort of eat standing up. But what I discovered uh, in that moment was how important it is to stop and sit at the table. Around that table, she began to talk about her life. You know, if it had just been stuff chucked on the bench, you know, and I understand in busy lives that, that you know, it's like the, um, it's kind of like the relay team to have breakfast. But when you're able, a setting of a table prepares a moment for people to stop and to sit. And that was the most amazing thing. In fact, she was so gobsmacked, she told her mother, my cousin Ray, who emailed me and said, what have you done? Every time my daughter comes home now, she's going to be like, where's the table set? Like Auntie Chrissy, you know. <laughs> anyway, however, I'm just opening with that story because we are living in an age where families are eating on the run. And it's time to reclaim the table. It's part of my message today. It is the heart of my message today. And so it, I'm not saying fancy pantsy. My mum, who raised my sister and I, she was widowed when I was an infant. She was a working mum. But before she went to bed at night, she set the breakfast table. And there was something lovely about coming through that passage door, you know, in my school uniform, and seeing that table set because she had taken the time to do it, and that got into me. And, and I wanted us to understand how that an act of setting a table may seem so insignificant, but for someone who's come from the outside, who's maybe not been raised in a family, which is quite common, they're disjointed in their family life, some kids who have been at times living on the streets and you could even be sitting here today where you've been homeless at one or, an, or another time of your life. The joy of somebody preparing a place for you to come is, is one of the most godly and spiritual and Jesus things that you can do. So turn to somebody and say, Jesus set the table. And I'm going to prove it in a minute how important food and fellowship and the table is in the discipling of each other. Even on Friday night, if you follow me on Instagram, we have our annual, we have all our pastors, our campus pastors, our board and itinerants to our house um, for Christmas. And I spend, I don't have to do the food because Jacob Lewing, who's our events coordinator, he does the food, but all day... I love it. I put flowers in vases. I went to the market early. I saw Jane Grover. How many of you love Jane Grover? Oh, if you've got to follow Jane Grover on Instagram. And I thought, I want to get some of her pickles and uh, marmalade for Christmas, you know, because we've got family and friends coming over. And, um, and I just loved preparing the house and putting the batteries and the fairy lights and sticking them around the place and preparing a table where people can come and fellowship. If, if it, it's just willy-nilly, then people don't want, know what to do. They literally can't relax unless we prepare a place for others. And, and it's part of our uh, 
Christian life to prepare a place for, for others where miracles can take place over a cup of tea. I remember one time we had this couple from England uh, over for supper, and it was just a cup of tea and some bickies or something. And over that, just sort of sitting around the lounge and the coffee table, we just got talking about the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And this guy's name was Brian, and he had his cup of tea in his hand. He was English, so it was a cup and a saucer <laughs> for the English. You know, for us old Aussies, we don't mind the old mug, but, you know, we are a pack of mugs, aren't we? So we like a mug. We don't, you know, a saucer, that means two things to wash up, right? But the English like a, a cup and a saucer. And so we're talking, and I said to we got talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I said, oh, Brian, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he went, oh, oh, no, he said, you know, dozens of people had prayed for him. And, uh, and but he'd never, he didn't believe that he, uh, God had given him, as he called it, this, the gift of tongues. He thought it was for somebody else. And so I said, oh, but when you're in prayer, you know, have you ever like had a different language come over, come in your, through your mind? And he says, well, yes, I do, but it sounds like Latin. So I've never spoken it out. He had his cup of tea in his hand. And I said, oh, so would you be able to remember right now what that sounds like? And he said, yes. And he went, oh, you know, that doesn't sound like Latin, but that's my tongue. And I, and I said, put your cup of tea down, Brian. And I went over and prayed for him, and he got totally baptized with the Holy Spirit around a table with a simple cup of tea. That's the Jesus way. If we provide a place, God can get in, and his miracles can begin to come to pass. So there are so many uh, instances and like little film clips of Jesus around food. And, and I'm so here in John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Uh, I'll just paraphrase it, but it'll come up on the on there from verse uh, two, chapter two, verse one to eleven. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. And you know what happened? The host was terribly embarrassed because he ran out of wine, and so Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, "You know, uh, what are you going to do about it, Jesus, son, Jesus?" And he told her in no uncertain words that his time wasn't yet. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't really uh, ready to do a miracle that day. However, uh, she said to the servants, do whatever he says. And he's, you know the instance, he says, fill the water pots with water and, uh, you know, great big water pots of stone. And, um, and then Jesus said, do that. And then now draw some out. And you know what it was? He turned water into wine. Isn't that awesome? And the, the um, host of the wedding said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, uh, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and it manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I'm telling you, when we do what we can do, right, we open up the door for God to do a miracle. When we bless others, point number one, when we bless others, the miracle provision of heaven is released. So when you share what you have, miracles can be released, right? It might only be, as we're going to find out soon in this next scripture, 
this next illustration found in Luke chapter 9, verses 16 to 17. A little boy just gave what he had, five loaves and two fish. And, right, he gave it to Jesus. What we have and we give to Jesus, guess what? He can multiply it. He, as long as we are willing to be generous. So generosity and giving what we have, like Dorian actually was preaching about the matchbox thing, that when we give what we have, even if we don't think it is enough, when we give what we have to Jesus and he blesses it, it can be multiplied. So that's the big key, that you sow into God and he will cause what you have in your hand to be multiplied. And it can go out, not just to meet your needs, but other people as well. And this is what happened. Then he gave them to, to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How marvelous. So just when you think you haven't got enough, God's miracle power can come in. I want to illustrate this with a story. Many of you know that several years ago when we had our first uh, Rise and Build building fund, it was called the Capital Stewardship Campaign back then, the Lord directed Phil and I uh, in order to fulfill the amount that was a ridiculous amount in those days, it was $120,000, and then Phil asked the silly question in prayer, how are we going to do that? And the Lord said, you will give your, both you and Chris, uh, to give your cash wage and trust me for provision. Well, in his mind, he was like, Chris will never, he, he thought, Chris, that's me, will never agree to that. What is it about some men, girls? They, do they think that we, you know, can't believe God? Well, anyway, Phil actually said to me, he was hoping that I would disagree because it was a big step. And so, to cut a long story short, we began that, uh, uh, that giving, our cash wage, which used to come in an envelope, and the Lord spoke to me, and I saw a, a miracle, kind of a miracle vision of his provision. I went to the beach to pray. Uh, what Phil was away when he actually rang me to say this was what the Lord had asked us to do. Did I agree? And I said, let me pray. And as I was walking on the beach, I saw the pay envelope, um, now, of course, pay goes into <laughs> direct into your bank account, but in those days, that's how long I've been pastoring, in the olden days. <laughs> and um, I saw the envelope, and it went boom. It just blew up into a million pieces. And the Lord said to me, where are the boundaries of my provision? He's so clever, our Jesus. And I said, there aren't any, Lord. There's no boundary. He said, and so will be my provision as long as you sow into the building of uh, my house. And that was it. But one Christmas, okay, just so you know, Christmas Eve came. We had 14 people coming for Christmas Day lunch. And uh, Judy Ann Clifton, who was a student at the time, she used to come and help me with the kids were really small. And um, she came after Bible college and she went, oh, Pastor Chris, oh, there's nothing in the, in the cupboards. What are we going to do? And because she was going to help me cook. Uh, 
uh, the food that hadn't wasn't in the you know there was no no um, room in the inn there was no food in the pantry cupboard and I said don't worry because many many times I'd seen the Lord just provide and there were boxes of food on the on the you know or, or money in the envelope at the, under the door I said don't worry so that afternoon Christmas Eve Tim McGrath who's now retired he was one of our deacons he used to work for Master Foods. <laughs> How many of you know Master Foods? Okay. But he, he arrived, and there was ham, there was pork, there was a turkey, there was tons of fruit and veggies and everything, and not only that, but a bicycle for Joseph. And Joseph, you know, he'd written the Santa note, what color he wanted the bike, and I'd seen it, of course, but we could only afford a helmet, right? So we bought the helmet and wrapped it and put it under the tree, you are going to believe what I'm about to tell you, aren't you? That the bike that Tim bought for Joe to go under the tree was the same color as the helmet we'd already bought. He didn't know. It was wrapped. It looked like a soccer ball. You know, Joe's fingers were poking it in. I think he knew what it was. How good is God? Sometimes it's at the 11th hour. But if you are thankful and praising God, his provision will surely come to you. Jesus, here's a memorable, many memorable moments in the life of Christ on earth were around a table, like significant, miraculous moments. And here's another one found in Matthew 26. Verse 26, I'm looking at that clock. Oh, here we go. Is that how much I've got? Five minutes? What? Come on, Chris. Come on, say, Pastor Chris, hurry up. Gallop, gallop, gallop. <laughs> Matthew 20, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. That was a significant moment, a moment that would be seared in the minds and the hearts and the memories of all the disciples. We know what happened after this early in the next morning. The disciples fell asleep while he was praying. Judas took off and betrayed him. The disciples scattered and Peter denied Christ. And now they were so despondent that they kind of left the room. They kind of left the territory, and they went fishing. This is after the resurrection. They were so despondent that they were going backwards to their former life. They were isolating from the fellowship of the saints and the women who had actually remained faithful at the cross, as we know, and some of the brothers who buried the, the body of Christ in a, in a borrowed tomb. When we are hurting, we tend to isolate. But when we are hurting, that is the time we need to fellowship. That's the time when we need to ring up a mate and say, can I come over for a cuppa? Can I meet you at the cafe? I'm I'm not doing so good. The time to come around the table is at that moment when you want to just isolate. And when we isolate, we are fair pickings for the enemy. 
The wolf goes for what? Not the sheep and the flock. The wolf goes for the isolated sheep and then gets the sheep all upset and fearful and then down the ditch it goes or over the cliff. So don't isolate. Find a table of fellowship and be together there because in the, around there, Jesus is able to come into the midst of us. So this is the scene. The boys go out fishing and there's this guy on the beach and he's lighting a fire like a barbecue. And this is found in uh, somewhere in the Bible. Yes, Matthew. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Oh, have I got the scripture? Oh, no, it's John 21, because I just added this uh, this morning. Uh, sorry, it's not, it won't come up, but John 21, verses 9. And, and he calls them, you know, they have the miracle catch. But Jesus says, put the, you know, they've been out all night, they're despondent, and they're cold, and they're hungry, and they're wet, and they're hacked off because nothing is turning out all right. And he says, put the net on the other side. And, and then, of course, you know what happens. They get this massive provision of fish, and then they begin to sort of half recognize Jesus. And listen to this in verse 9. I love this, and this is who we are. We, this is a picture of who Christ wants us to be, not just over the Christmas season, but our whole lives. Then as soon as they had come to land... They saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Don't you love that? Not just a piece of fish from Jesus, but yummy fresh bread. Soak up the juices of the fishy, brothy stuff. And then Jesus said this in verse 12, come and eat breakfast. How cool is Jesus? Come. Come, fellas and eat breakfast. And so as we come to a close today, can I have the musicians to come up? I want to close with, with this personal invitation that each one of us, no matter where we are in life, need to accept. This invitation is given to every man and woman, son and daughter, child, to come and sit with Christ and fellowship with him. Our daily devotion our most important meal in life. Jesus himself said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, here I am. Here I am is not yesterday, not tomorrow, right now, here. Here I am. He is always here for us in the moment of now. Yesterday is gone. Lots of things have happened in the past, but here is right now. And Jesus says these words, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Isn't that cool? I will come in, I'll sit down and eat with them. My, one of my most fo favorite moments of the day, I have two great moments. Number one is when Pastor Phil goes out with the dog at 5.30 down to pray. And I go down and make myself a little espresso coffee. And I come back up into our bedroom and I do just this. I sup with Jesus. I'm not shouting and I read the word of God. I pray. I sit in the quiet and the silence and just receive the fellowship that comes from knowing Christ. I we sup. 
He's a friend. You know, when you're with a friend, sometimes you don't have to talk. You don't have to say much. But his word, I let his word feed me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You know, we don't live by bread alone. And Jesus was illustrating two things when he cooked breakfast for the disciples. He provided daily bread and then he provided his presence. He was present at that barbecue. He didn't send somebody else. He didn't send an angel. Jesus is here and now to come and sup with us. When he declared, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's found in John chapter 6, verse 35. He means that. That is the table of relationship. And so just as we bow our heads today in prayer, I want to just ask this question to you. Is Jesus standing at the door of your heart and knocking? Has he been knocking for a while and you've just been too busy? Well, you know what? That's okay. He's here and now. He's here right now to come in and sup with you and be be Christ to you, to provide fresh bread and food for you today in your life. And this could be your day to surrender to him, to be your bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. You don't live just by physical bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and that's Jesus. All his promises are there for us. And we are sustained in this life through the word of God and through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit.